Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. If you're new or visiting Metro Presbyterian Church today, we've been walking through a series over the last month or so, several months, uh, about the parables of Jesus. And the parables are, what are parables? Parables, Jesus is such a dynamic teacher. And uh, he's this incredibly dynamic teacher. And he uses, parables are essentially metaphors. Pictures to illustrate what life is like in, in God's kingdom. What type of people, the character of people who are in the kingdom of God. And this partic- particular passage, Jesus is teaching uh, about four types of seeds, or four types of soil on which receiving the seeds that are are being sown. And and Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, later on in the parable, as as, uh, Charlotte just read to you, uh, verses 18 to 23, Jesus says, When anyone hears the word, meaning that each of the four types of seeds, each of the four types of souls, rather, are four types of listeners. The kingdom of God comes by hearing. And so we have to be careful how we actually hear. Now, what is he saying? Earthly leaders... They come by force. They come like a boulder. They smash. But Jesus says, I come with a voice. I come with a voice. You have to listen to me. I come like a seed. You have to take it in. You have to take me in and I have to go deep. In other words, your ability to listen is absolutely critical. Now, in modern society, we don't listen very well. Um, Julian Treasure, he's the chairman of Sound Agency. He's a noted sound consultant throughout the world, and he's a speaker. He's spoken at many TED conferences. Um, This is what he says in, in his book. We're losing our listening. This is not trivial because listening is our access to understanding. Conscious listening always creates understanding, and only without conscious listening can these things happen. A world where we don't listen is a very scary place indeed. There are three things we're going to hear today, um, and it's all about hearing. The first is Jesus' voice. The second is our ears. 
And the third is, how do we hear clearly? Jesus' voice, our ears, and how do we hear or how do we listen clearly? First, we're going to talk about Jesus' voice. This, in this parable, a sower, he goes out to sow seeds. And uh, the seeds, as they're being sown, as they're being scattered around, they fall on different types of soil, several different types, four different types in particular. And we see this in verses 18 to 19. Jesus is explaining the, the parable. He says, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone, anyone hears the word of God, in other words, the secret of the kingdom of God, the word is the word of God, the voice of Jesus. And the voice of Jesus, the word of God, is like a seed. Now, how is it like a seed? A seed is very, very small. It's unlike a boulder. A boulder is very, very large. A seed comes quietly. It just falls to the ground. A boulder comes very, very loudly. A seed comes by organic growth. A boulder comes and smashes itself around inorganically, right? It intrudes. A seed, it transforms the internal environment. But a boulder, what does it do? It comes and it smashes. It transforms the external environment. A seed makes change through conversion. Internally, it converts and it's dynamic power and strength. A boulder comes, it's dynamic, but it comes through smashing things. External power, subversion, through might and strength. But because a change is internal, a seed, it has to be buried very, very deep. It's got to go really, really deep. And it's very interesting because there's dynamic, life-giving power in that one little seed. Everything, even the largest trees, need life. Everything that, everything that these largest trees need actually for life is contained in that seed. In other words, God's voice. God's voice, his word, it comes with tremendous power, but it comes by taking it in. You've got to plant it very, very deep. It needs to go very, very deep in order for that dynamic power to be experienced, to be realized. A seed is weak. A seed is small by itself, but inside that seed, everything you need for life and power is contained inside there. Immense power, immense potential. Now, skeptics, they're often going to say, well, listen, I don't know how many times I've heard this. I've heard this before. Jesus, if Jesus is real, if Jesus really is that powerful, he should really appear and just do a miracle right in front of us. And what he's saying is very similar to what John the Baptist when Jesus first came into to the world in his ministry, he said, he asked, why am I suffering? I mean, if Jesus is really present, why do I suffer? He, why don't you just take it away? Jesus here says, that's not how the kingdom of God works. That's not how I actually come. I don't come through power. I come through weakness. I don't come through subversion. I come through conversion. I don't come with a hammer. I come with an embrace. I don't come by showing incredible strength and might. I actually come by becoming weak, by becoming vulnerable. A seed is very, very vulnerable. It's weak, but inside there's dynamic power. And when you plant a seed, it changes the entire field around it. And that's the gospel. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the gospel. The king will come in weakness. He will be tortured. He will be destroyed. But only when he's destroyed, the true power, the dynamic power that's within gets unleashed and it changes everything. Dynamite, boulders, hammers, they can't do that. A man whose heart takes it in, a man who understands this, will change inside out. There's power in his life. Now, when we think that suffering means that God is not there, that God is weak, we're absolutely misled. We don't get it. 
So we end up complaining, we're doubting. But Jesus, he, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who takes it in, he who gets it, he who understands the gospel, he's the one who sees Jesus. He's the one who sees Jesus. He may be weak, he may get destroyed, but he's going to unleash tremendous power as a result. Do you hear his voice? Not just this morning, but on a day-to-day basis. Do, do, do you hear his voice? Do you get it? Because if you do, dynamic power rests. Dynamic power to change rests in you if the voice goes deep. Now, why doesn't the voice go deep? Why don't we get it? The second point is the problem. It's our ears. Jesus says, take heed how you hear. And the parable shows us how the gospel is heard, how it's taken in. It's very easy to reject the gospel. It's very easy to miss the gospel. Even if we think, I mean, the worst thing about this is oftentimes we think we get it. We think we understand it. Jesus says, you need to think. You need to take it in. You can't assume that. It's why so many people think they get it, but they're the ones who actually miss it. And Jesus, he then elaborates by bringing out four different types of soil. Each of them represents the way we take it in, the way four different types of people here in this congregation will take it in. And it's a test of how we're taking it in as a result. We're going to walk through the four types of soil. The first soil. In the beginning, he talks about the hard heart. The person to whom the gospel appeals, but only to the intellect. In other words, the gospel doesn't penetrate deeply. It doesn't go deep. The heart is still hard. It makes us really into reading. Sometimes we like to keep up with all the latest books, the latest songs. Everything that we're going on in community, we're keeping up with. But the heart is hard. So even though we're really into this thing, although we share about it, although we may excite other people about it, it never impacts us to actually change internally, deeply. I mean, have you actually experienced, this is a question for you, have you really experienced the dynamic power of the gospel to change your life? Have you ever, you know, come to a personal power, the personal power, the personal experience of that power of Christian faith? How do you know that? It's because... At one point in our lives, the gospel becomes less mechanical. Our practice becomes less mechanical. It becomes something we believe. It becomes our reality. It redefines our reality. It shapes our worldview. It shapes our values. Let me ask you this. Is the gospel mere, just a knowledge that helps you improve yourself? Or is it a power that actually transforms your life? On one hand, the gospel should threaten you. This is how you know it's working in your life. The gospel, on one hand, should threaten you. It's going to threaten your views. It's going to threaten your dispositions. It's going to threaten your values. All the things that you want on a day-to-day basis, all the things that you desire, that you're pushing for. But on the other hand, it doesn't let you go. And so it's compelling you. You can't just dismiss it. You can't just reject it. If you have a hard time, and on one hand, if you're angered by the gospel, but you can't let it go, your heart is softening. But on the flip side, if you're in agreement with everything, but it's not shaping you. If you're excited about it, and you're exciting other people about it, but it's not changing your life, it's not compelling you, then your heart is actually still hard. That's a very scary soil to be planted, for a seed to be planted in. The second soil, Jesus is saying, beware of the heart that is shallow. In other words, the gospel's moving me but it's not transforming me again. The gospel brings me joy. It really gets me. 
I get taken by it. It excites me. I move now beyond theory. I move beyond theology. I move beyond philosophy. My eyes have been opened, but the ground is very, very shallow. There's no roots. And so what happens is when the heat comes down, according to Jesus in this parable, now these people lived in the Middle East, so they understand heat. And they understand what it does to a crop, what it does to a seed that's planted shallowly. When the heat comes in, it's scorching it. It kills it. As soon as trouble arises, as soon as suffering arises, or sometimes it's not trouble, it's the very opposite of trouble. As soon as blessing comes into our lives, as soon as good things, everything that we ever asked for, we get, they start to turn their backs. They start to forget. They start to ignore This particularly happens when it comes to our agendas. You see, it's easy to go to Jesus for our help. It's easy to go to Jesus as our help. It's easy to go to Jesus um, uh, for self-improvement, to build ourselves up, for advice, for wisdom. We pray for wisdom. We pray for counsel. But if you're not coming first to Jesus as king, then what you're really doing is you're coming to him with your own demands, demands of your own. You're coming with something else as your king. You're still worshiping something else, and you're coming to Jesus really just to help you. You know what suffering is? Suffering reveals what those things are. I'm going to give you a very, very quick illustration that I learned years ago. Take this, imagine a cup, and you fill that cup with something. Let's say I fill it with orange juice. And then a fist comes and just knocks over the cup. Most people will tell you, if I ask you what happened here, most people will say, well, the fist hit the cup, and and because the fist hit the cup, all this orange juice spilled out. But you're missing a very, very obvious point here. You're forgetting that because there was something in the cup in the first place, when the fist hit, that's what spilled out. If there was nothing in the cup, nothing would spill out. If there was water in the cup, water would spill out. If there is anger in the cup... When the fist hits, when the suffering, when the trouble hits, anger would spill out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Suffering reveals our heat. The heat reveals merely what's in the cup, what's in the heart. The heat reveals lesser kings. We're coming to Jesus. We think we're coming to Jesus as king, but really what we're doing is we're coming with other things that have taken over the throne in our hearts. And that, and that suffering, the heat, even the blessings of our lives, it reveals the real things that we go to as our king, our real agendas. And so the gospel, when we hear it, it moves us, it excites us. We feel better, but we're not cured because we've never deeply repented of the idols that are controlling us. And so as a result, we're still trying to save ourselves. And so when trouble hits, the first instinct is really just to save ourselves, to cover ourselves, to preserve ourselves. That's the second seed, or the second soil, sorry. The third point, the third seed, I mean the third soil, is uh, in verse 7. He talks about the divided heart. Now this one, I think, is the scariest one. And you see the progression here. You see, it's easy to see the first two guys, the first two types of soils, as non-believers. Right? But it's very, very hard to detect the third one. This soil allows the seed to spring up. And so as a result, the people say, I'm really, I want to be committed to Christ. But there's no change. And there's no power. And we know this because there's no fruit. It doesn't last. And so the cares and the concerns and the anxieties 
and the deceitfulness, all the other voices we hear around us, our friends, our pursuits, our pursuits, our desires create these fears, and then we, ultimately we have to get rid of these fears in our lives. And how do we do that? We have to build our own security. We need to have perfect children so that our reputations as a mother or a father are intact, or at least at the root of it. We need to protect our careers because by, if, if only somebody bypasses me or passes over me, our sense of worth is just damaged and crushed. What happens is because of the cares and the deceitfulness and the anxieties of the world, we become unfruitful. And so we end up being anxious and we're skeptical. We start to doubt. It shapes us. The anxieties of the world shape us and we start to forget. We start to ignore. And so on one hand, you're committed to Christ and you may see your sin, but you're not relinquishing every area of your life. On one hand, you're committed to Christ, but you're still being one to the love of other people. You're still valuing your looks as the way to manipulate people. You're still, you're still valuing money as the way to have power over people. You still value your success as a way, as a means to your sense of worth. You're still clinging to your talents and your abilities as the thing that you want to present yourself and saying, I am worthy. And as a result, all these other things, your looks, your figure, your health, your children, your spouse, or getting married as a pursuit for that matter, your possessions, they start to crowd Jesus out. And as a result, Jesus is saying, you have to let the gospel go deep. That's a scary one. That's a scary one. Jesus says you have to let the gospel soften the hard heart. You have to let the gospel penetrate deeply the shallow heart. You have to let the gospel and its power bring courage to a heart that's always divided. You have to be fertile. You have to be deep. You have to be integrated. Let it move into your sin and go all the way in. It's got to go all the way into your sin. Remember the first commandment? We read it in our call to worship. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. That's the first commandment. That's really the, that's the sum of all the commandments. Get, you have to get, let the gospel get beyond your mind. Let it get beyond your emotions. Let it get beyond your will. You have to let the gospel go and, and, and let the love of the gospel drive you to obey. That's what you have to let it do. Now, how do you do that? The soil's job is not to rid you of the birds around you, the vultures around you. The job of the soil is not, not to get rid of the rocks or the thorns. You need a farmer to come and clear away these things. You have to give yourself to the gardener. You have to trust in the faithful work, the active work of the gardener. Now, if I were to say, let's pray. Now, let's pray now and end the sermon like that. Will that change you? Will that shape your life? Everybody, let's pray. Let's go. Let the gospel go deep. Let it penetrate your shallow heart. You know, let it penetrate, let it go all the way in. So cling to the word, pray hard, let's go. You're going to try that for a while. You're going to do that for a while. And what's going to happen is after a while, the troubles and the anxieties are going to come in and it's going to choke Christ out. 
And you're going to feel like either you've done something wrong and that's why you're not right with God or Christ and God have abandoned you. The Spirit has abandoned you. And they're both disastrous. And all these years you've been coming to church, if that's the way you've lived your life, that's why there's complete disintegration of the soul and in the heart. When really what Jesus is talking about is, I want you to be integrated. I want you to be deep. I want you to be fertile and rich and experience the fullness of the gospel. If I were to ask you to just do that and just pray and go, you're going to actually be discouraged, not encouraged. You're going to feel less power in your life, not real power, not the fullness of the measure of, of what Christ offers through his gospel here. You want to know, know, know how the love goes deep? You want to know how do you, gotta, how do you hear really clearly? You want to know how God's love can just deeply penetrate? You've got to go to the fourth soil. Because that fourth soil is the fertile, deeply penetrating voice of God. It's not enough. This is the last point. It's not enough to just know how God became weak. It's not enough just to know that the most powerful person in the universe became powerless. You have to know that he became powerless for you. And you have to let that move you all the way. You have to know that he did it for you. And you have to see the power in what he's done. In John chapter 12, Jesus enters Jerusalem. And this is Palm Sunday. Uh, On Palm Sunday, he enters Jerusalem. And uh, they glorified him as king. But then this is what Jesus says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And what he's saying is this, I am the seed. And in order for the seed to penetrate into the soil very deeply, it has to go very, very deep. It needs to fall. It needs to die. And it needs to be buried. My kingdom is not going to flourish through my strength. I'm very powerful, but not through my strength, but through my weakness. I'm not going to smash the world into submission, but I'm going to be smashed by the world. And I'm going to fall and I will die. And if you rest on that, it That will penetrate. The truth of that, that I did it for you, will penetrate deeply. He did this for the salvation of our souls. We are the fruit. How do we know this? For those of you who have a hard heart, you have hardness in your heart? Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, what he's saying is, the wrath of God has fallen on me. And God, my source of worship, my source of life, my source of power has turned away from him. Jesus took the hardness. He's saying, God, you've hardened yourself to me. God has turned his face from his own son. And yet, do you know, on the cross, as he was suffering, he remained soft. He was reciting the words of Psalm 22. God himself has abandoned him. His friends have rejected him. And the people around him are spitting and mocking him. The dogs are circling around him to basically eat what's left over, he says. And yet, do you know, he remained soft on the cross, worshiping. Psalm 22, he was reciting. That's going to soften our hearts. That Jesus is dying for our sake and yet worshipfully, worshipfully dying for you on the cross. You have heat in your life, you have suffering in your life, or you're experiencing a time of incredible blessing and it's often making you forget this incredible gospel that we hear every week. Jesus took the heat. Jesus took the suffering one that we could not withstand. 
He bore the immense wrath of God in its totality, all by himself. He bore it alone. They raised up that cross so that not an ounce of it will fall to the rest of man, but that will fall all on Christ so not a single person that he has in his midst would feel, feel that wrath, would experience that wrath. He took the suffering. He took the, su- the persecution. He took the heat. And yet, do you know, he remained faithful. I, I quote this often, one of my favorite hymns. It's one that we never sing because it's one of those hymns that have been written and basically in, into antiquity. And one of the lines says that Jesus basically sucked up the dregs of God's wrath. And I had to literally pause and look up what dregs were. I didn't know what they were at one point. The dregs are, when you're drinking tea, authentic tea, you have these uh, pieces that remain in the tea. They're the remnants of the tea leaves. And what, what, what the, the hymn is basically saying is, just like we sip tea, you, once you're done, you pour more water and the dregs are left. It's what's little left of that power. We're just basically soaking until the rest of the potency is gone of the tea. And the hymn is basically saying that on the cross, alone, Jesus is saying more, more, more. I want the fullness of the wrath of God. I want to suck out the dregs of the wrath of God until not an ounce of it is left for my people. That is Jesus. He took the heat, and yet he said more. It revealed his character. That fist hit that cup, what came out? Worship came out. Love came out. My favorite hymn, he emptied himself of everything but love. That's what came out. Look at the faithfulness of Jesus. Look at the righteousness of Jesus. Look at the love of Jesus for you. Even when God rejected him, we can trust that. When you see that the most powerful person, the most perfect embodiment of God's law, whoever walked the earth, was crucified and suffered the heat and the fullness of the wrath of God for our sakes, that's going to give you deep roots. We can trust him. You can build up that trust bank when you suffer. You can build up trust. You have thorns, things that are crowding Christ out. It could be your work. It could be your children. Sometimes we're just so exhausted, you know, so exhausted because we have so much work. It doesn't end. Or our children demand so much of our attention, it doesn't end. Or our careers for our lifetime will suck so much out of us. Or just live, just barely, sometimes we're just barely hanging on. You have thorns? You're feeling choked by anxiety and doubts? Jesus got the thorns. Jesus got a crown of thorns. Do you know that on the cross, he was actually dying of asphyxiation? He was actually choking on the cross. He was suffocating on the cross. Physically, that's what happens when you're on a cross and dying. In Gethsemane, he says, my soul is troubled to the point of death. You know what he's saying? I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I have so much anxiety, I can't breathe. I'm choking. But then, immediately, you know what he says? Not my will, but yours be done. He remained faithful. He remained steadfast. So whether you have a hardness of heart, a shallow heart, or a divided heart, the gospel is sufficient. Christ went all the way. You have rocks in your life? Jesus was buried behind rocks. You have thorns in your life? Jesus bore the thorns. That's courage. That's his courage. 
Jesus was the most fertile soil. Jesus is the seed, but Jesus is the most fertile soil. He always delighted in the Lord. But yet, on the cross, he bore the pain of being the other three soils. And he died for you. He took our place. He became our substitute. Jesus, as a teacher, will ruin you. Jesus, as a set of instructions, as a law, you know, his teachings will ruin you. It will destroy you. If that's the way you lived your life, you are living in a destroyed state. But Jesus, as our substitute, will heal you, will revive you. Can you trust in Jesus today? You have to let that truth open your heart so that the gospel can go weak, go deep. You have to let the gospel free you. If you don't let the gospel free you, you're just going to always try harder to remove your guilt or you're going to try harder to, to just live a life that's more alive and exciting. You're going to do whatever it takes. You're going to just work hard or, or try to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with or you're going to try to steal or cheat or lie or whatever it is or get it, try to win approval from other people. You're going to do whatever you can so you can live whatever it is that is an enriching or full life for you. Whose voice are you letting in? What are you hearing around you? How deep is it going? How transforming are the voices around you in your life versus the power of the gospel that we hear that will give you fullness of heart, fullness of life, richness in life? Whose voice are you letting in to go deep into your heart? How much power do you have? This week, will you listen to the voice of God? And he's so gentle, and he's so patient, and he's so gracious. And he's so kind. It's like an amazing meal that we get to feast on for 30 minutes each week. Let's pray.